Um, it's interesting, um, just the way God made the differences between men and women. Marilyn said, um, what do you want for a dessert on Father's Day? And I said, why, of course, a mound's cake. I mean, I love that thing. And she said, we had that last year. And I looked at her like, and what's the point? I mean, you know, it's like if you got something and you like it and it ain't broke, why change it? In her mind, it's there's all these wonderful desserts out there and we could try and, and this, try a new one. And we as men think, this one is good. We all enjoy it. Why try something that you don't know it will be good? One in the hand is better than two in the bush, right? But thank God God made us um, differently. I read um, just to help us understand and to help you ladies maybe understand men a little bit. When a man says... And when we say it would take too long to explain, we really mean, I have no idea how it works. <laughs> when a man says, honey, take a break, you're working too hard. He means, I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> when a man says, can I help with dinner? He means, it isn't ready yet. When a man says, I can't find it, it means it didn't fall into my outstretched hand, so I am completely clueless where it might be. When a man says, you look terrific, he means, oh, please, do not try on one more outfit. We're already late. When a man says, that is not what I meant, he means, if something I said can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, I meant the other way. Um, sad to say, many of those are true, but... Um, I rejoice more and more as I live in the way God, not only in men and women, created differences, but in human beings, how He made us all different. And indeed, some of us are way more different than others, but we need to celebrate the differences that God has given us. But one of the, one of the things that... Um, men continually deal with, and in particular as fathers, is, okay, I have all these things that I'm supposed to do. Okay, first of all, I'm, I'm supposed to be a godly man, and I'm supposed to be a godly husband, and I have the responsibility for taking care of my my family, providing for them physically and, and um, protecting them and providing for them 
financially and in areas there. And, and then I have the, the responsibility that I'm supposed to teach them and, and uh, instruct and model. And, and if you have boys and girls in your family, it's like, oh, how do I do this? And if you have more than one child, it's like, oh, this one's totally different than this one. And what I thought may have been a, a good teaching tool here, on this one they sit there and look at me with a blank look like that didn't register at all and so on. And then you're supposed to go to work and juggle all the things at work, um, whether you own your own business or you work for someone else and you have responsibilities in your neighborhood and as a citizen and and all these things, and um, honestly, many men think, I just want to remove any expectations that people have for me and, um, and lower their expectations to the point that they expect nothing of me, and that way I can coast through life. And honestly, many men um, have an aversion, not just because of the spiritual warfare, but an aversion to the things of Christianity and church and God, because, man, the last thing I need is to go to another place and they tell me some more things that I need to be doing, or doing that I, I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. I've got enough of that going on in my life. Um, I've always enjoyed the conclusions of the matter or the simplicity. Um, there are volumes written, and this is the method that some books are. They'll... They'll tell you all these different views about something and go into great detail. And then, then they'll come down and tell you the truth. And, I mean, this, we're all made differently and some really love getting into all the details. I guess I'm just simple enough that my mind can only handle so much. Just give me the truth. You know, and the truth will expose the other things. This is a very good point, but this is a flaw there, and on and on and on and on and on they go. But then, in the conclusion of the matter. So, today, um, we want to look at and help us as men to try to simplify our lives in, in the sense of Four basic things, and really the first three could almost go together as one. And the fourth one is the most important, that if you take care of number four, one, two, and three should fall into place. So you're saying, why don't we get to number four right away like you'd like to? Because we know there's some that like to wade through everything, okay? No, seriously, this is helpful, I believe, 
And looking at my own life has been helpful in, in helping me sort through many, many things. If you turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, as you know, the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, apart from Jesus Christ, the wisest man that ever lived, and at the same time, the wisest man that ever lived that really... It shows that mankind, apart from Christ, uh, is capable of great failure as well. And he made many mistakes. But a man that God richly blessed, and a man that basically was able to experience everything that life had to offer. And uh, without going into, into the details, he... He was rich, he was famous, he had everything, he'd experienced everything. And he comes down in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it, will, it, whether it be evil. Now, let me just say, today in the context of Father's Day, we'll be making applications primarily to fathers, to men. Um, but these principles apply to everyone in all of life. So if you're here today and you're not a father or you're a young person, it's not like, okay, check out and wake me up at the end. It's these principles can drastically um, affect our lives if we come to implement them in our lives. Solomon comes down, and it's evident that God doesn't agree with my viewpoint about things, just give the conclusion of the matter, because he preserved the book of Ecclesiastes, and in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, I tried this and it was empty and unfulfilling. And I tried this and it was empty and unfulfilling. And I've tried this. And he did that for 11 chapters. And he comes down to chapter 12. And in the end, he says, here's the conclusion for the whole matter. The bottom line, the end of the duty of man. Fear God and keep His commandments. What's a man to do? Number one, fear God. The whole duty of man is to fear God, not man. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs chapter 9 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs 14.26, again, most of these recorded by Solomon, it says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and His children will have a place of refuge. Proverbs 14 and verse 27, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. That there are many snares in this world that, that seek to trap us and destroy us. But he said the fear of the Lord brings a fountain of life. 
and helps us avoid the snares of death. In Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord tends to life, and he that has it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Proverbs 22 and verse 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Now, throughout all those verses, the underlining fact is the fear of the Lord. And in Ecclesiastes 12, he says, the fear God, to fear God is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep His commandments. And we often are told that the fear of the Lord is to have a respect for Him. But notice if you'd look in verse 14 of Ecclesiastes 12. Fear, verse 13, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Then notice what he says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it will be evil. The fear of the Lord is the awareness that everything that I do, God is observing it, and I am responsible for everything that I do. Oftentimes, and you've heard me say it over and over again, but I am responsible for my thoughts, my words, my attitudes, and my actions. I can't blame anyone else for those. And the fear of the Lord is understanding that I am responsible. I am going to answer someday for every one of my thoughts, words, attitudes, and actions. And it is important for us to realize that um, this is foundational. Realize Our life is in His hand. Every detail of our life. We are are subject to Him, whether we realize it or not. And foundational, to get things right, is that we are to fear God, not man. You realize it's more important that we fear God than that we fear what some government is going to do to us or what ISIS is going to do or anything else. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, warning His disciples that they will persecute you and and you will flee from village to village. But He said, fear not him that is able to destroy your body but fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul. That's God. The worst that someone can do is torture and eventually kill your body. But our soul's destiny is in God's hand. And He is the ultimate judge And He is the one that every one of us will answer to. So, He begins by saying, Don't fear man, fear God. 
sim- uh, a simple principle that is also carried out in point number two that we want to call our attention to, that we need to live our life to please God, not man. God is my life giver, literally, physically, my life giver. Our times are in His hand. God is my Savior. He is my supplier. Even if He's not my Savior, He is the one that supplies the oxygen that we breathe. He is the one that provides the electrical impulse that keeps my heart beating. He is the one that keeps me alive. He is my Savior. He is my Master. He is my all in all. So then, why don't I live to please Him? Um, Because I don't see Him and I see people. And I am often influenced by wanting to please people because I can see their smiles or I can see their frowns or their scowl or their delight or whatever it is. And those oftentimes are more important to me than anything else. But do you understand? You and I will answer only to God. Majority of people in your life, they're going to go on their way and you'll go on your way and many of them you'll never see again let alone answer to them. Apart from the authority structure, ultimately, we answer to God. But we live in a human flesh that is often desirous of affirmation. We talk about, usually, in regard to teenagers, peer pressure. I don't know how it ever got started that it was something that we emphasized with them. But the fear of man and living to get the affirmation of man is something that every individual has to deal with and every man has to deal with. You understand from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden... Adam was more desirous of gaining the pleasure of Eve than he was the pleasure of God. Because he valued Eve's relationship more than he valued God's relationship. And you might argue that God created us with the need for affirmation But there is a fine line between appreciating affirmation and needing affirmation. And oftentimes we cross that fine line and we fall into an addiction to affirmation, if you please. We we have this, we've convinced ourselves that we need this affirmation. And the bottom line is, it is sinful. It's the desire for the praise of man over the true worship of God. It's the reliance on man's opinion 
instead of rejoicing in God's approval. And as I live my life, I begin to see that God oftentimes will use three different things to uh, break us of this need for human approval, human affirmation. Um, sometimes it's total amputation, meaning God some, sometimes comes into our life and He cuts us off from all human affirmation. Because he knows we can't even handle a little affirmation. I mean, if a, if a person is addicted to drugs, the way to stop is to cut off all the drugs. Because as I step into it a little bit, it just sucks me in. And many times God will come into our lives to get us to live to please Him. He will totally cut us off from all affirmation because He's trying to bring a healing in our life that we need Him more than we need the affirmation of others. Other times, God shows us the vanity of this affirmation by bringing people into our lives that we look up to, that we love, that maybe God used in our life. And we start seeing that they are human. And maybe they ignored us or maybe they overlooked us And God uses that in our lives to show us that no human can meet our needs. One of the dangers that we get into is a a young man and a young woman meet and marry and they look to each other as their sole source of meeting needs. There is no person on the face of the earth that can meet your needs except God. God will use a husband and wife, and He will use others, but God knows when we cross the line and when we start valuing and we want to please man. There's also the way that God deals in our life. The thing that we were desired to get affirmation from is God. C.S. Lewis said, even as a car was made to run, a gas engine car was made to run on gas, and if you put anything else in it, it won't run right. He said, so mankind was made to run, if you please, on God. If you put anything else in it, it will sadly disappoint. And as men, it is important for us that we say, you know, the one thing that I want to do is fear God, and that means I want to please Him more than anything else. 
You understand, it's easier to please God than it is man. In Christ, we can bring delight to the Father. And our desire is, should be to please Him. Whose approval are you after? Whose um, desire are you after? The need for affirmation motivates many. And in the world we live in, many men are motivated for the affirmation of maybe a father's praise, praise that they never got, or maybe the approval of man. And they do many good things, but their motive for doing it is, is so that people will praise them. Oh, good job! And if that comes, it doesn't satisfy. And when it doesn't come, they are bitterly disappointed. But when you live to please God, the one thing that we should want is, God, I want my life to be pleasing to you. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, If I live to please men, I am not a servant of Christ. But if I live to please God, I am a servant of Christ. Why do you do what you do? Do you understand how important it is that we learn to live to please God and not man? And the next follows right on it. We are to serve God, not man. Your motive for service will someday be revealed. Why we do everything will someday be revealed. If I did something with the motive that I did it as to the Lord, it will be rewarded with gold, silver, and precious stone. And they'll stand the test, they'll stand, and they will be rewarded. If I did it for myself, if I did it to be noticed, it will be gone as wood, hay, and stubble in a fire. It will disappear and be gone, and there will be no reward for it. In Matthew 6, Jesus began teaching about praying and fasting and giving. And he gives three examples of, of one of each of these. And he said, some go and do it before men that they may be seen of men. That was their motive, to be seen of men. And he says, they have their reward. They were seen of men. Yay. And their reward ends right there. He said, rather, do these things with the motive for God, and whether anyone sees it or not, he said, the Lord sees in secret, and He will reward you openly. So, it's just whatever you do. If our motive is, I'm doing this because I'm serving God, it will be revealed someday, and God is at work in our lives, and it, it often is revealed in, in our own hearts and lives when we do it 
and no one notices. And we go, hmm, no one even noticed what I did. That's pretty revealing about our motive. Wait a minute, God noticed. When we do it and we think, no one knows all the work that I've done here. Or no one appreciates all that I do. I, I think I'll just quit and then they'll, they'll, notice, they'll notice all that I do. Be very, very careful if we're thinking those thoughts. It reveals a motive that's all about me. Why are you doing what you're doing? No one is supporting me in this. No one is encouraging me in this. No one is for me. Man, you may think, I'm... I'm Working hard and doing all this and, and I come home and my wife tells me some more stuff that I need to do and, and points out something I'm not doing right and I'm getting tired of this and, and nobody's for me. Nobody's providing me encouragement. You better go back and check your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? God is for you. Who else do you need to be for you? Do you always do you always need a cheerleader over there? Good job. Way to go, Johnny. That's not a man. A man says, I'm going to do right whether anybody stands with me or not. And I'm going to keep serving because it is right. And it doesn't matter if they notice what I do. It doesn't matter if they appreciate what I do. It doesn't matter if they're supporting me and standing behind me. This is what I know God wants me to do. The fear of the Lord. First of all, I know this is what God wants me to do. And I know by doing this, since it's what God wants me to do, I know it will please Him. And I am serving God, not man. 1 Corinthians 15:58 he says continue on be steadfast and don't be moved from what you should be doing always be abounding in the work of the Lord why cuz your labor is not in vain God sees that which is done in secret he knows no one else needs to know It's important that we come down to realize that it's God, not man, that I serve. That it's God, not man, that I'm seeking to please. That it's fearing God and not man. And that's where it brings us down to the bottom line. It is important that we must build our walk with God. The bottom line, the most important thing in your life, men, as fathers, is to build your walk with the Lord. And when you build your walk with the Lord, it will make you what you ought to be in every other area of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So building your walk with the Lord, first of all, begins with humble yourself before God and admit, this is a question that young boys, young men, and men have built within us. Do I have what it takes? That's a question men have. Do I have what it takes? And we, we generally gravitate to areas where we think we have what it takes. Building your walk with God begins with saying, God, I do not have what it takes apart from you. First of all, I do not have what it takes to deal with my sin. The Christian life begins with humility. I am a vile, wretched sinner. I cannot forgive my sins. And in humility, I call upon Jesus Christ, my substitute, to pay the penalty for my sin. That's humbling ourselves. But the Christian life goes forward with humility in understanding I don't have what it takes, but God does. See, it's not this, I can't do it, I can't do it. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You're right, I don't have what it takes, God. I don't have what it takes to not live for self, but through you I can. I don't have what it takes to love my wife the way I ought to. But through you I can. And that means we humble ourselves, we cry out to God. That's another part of building your walk with God. Your prayer life. What are your cries out to God about? And then we listen to God. That means we give time, we make it a priority in our life. The Word of God, that we listen to God. And then we obey what He said. This last week in Bible time, we taught the little kids, wisdom is hearing and doing the Word of the Lord. So, to be a man that God wants me to be, I build my walk with God, and it's through that it teaches me to fear God. It's through that it teaches me to desire to please God, not man, and to serve God, not man. You get to know the Father in order to be the Father that you ought to be. How can I be the Father I ought to be? Go get to know the Father. You understand God's ultimate purpose in all of our lives is to help us to know the Father. I think I've told each of my sons that have become a father, I said, now that you're a father... God is really giving you an opportunity to learn about our Heavenly Father. Because being a father helps you know the heart of our Heavenly Father if you have a heart that seeks after God. Someone said, read the book of John and note everything that it says about our Father. If you want to know the Father... You need to humble yourself. 
You need to cry out to God. You need to listen to Him. Read the book of John and, and mark down everything that it says about the Father. Do you understand when a man has a heart that seeks after God and he builds his walk with God, a man's wife will receive far more love when she is number two on his priority list after God than if she were number one. A man's children will be fathered more diligently when they are loved by a man in the context of the father's love. The most important thing as a father is I must build my walk with God and He will teach me to fear God, not man, to please God, not man, to serve God, not man. Until we'll come down to where our heart's desire is in the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. When I go to work, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. You want to know why many people bomb out in the Christian life? They're serving man, they're seeking to please man, and they don't fear God. Because they haven't built a relationship. You want to know why uh, many servants of the Lord, pastors, missionaries, or whatever, bomb out? They value the praise of man more than they value the praise of God. They're seeking to please man. As I said, it is easier to please God than it is man. There's no way you can please man because man's always changing. And if you're living men to please your wife, you're never going to please her. I'm not saying that disrespectful to women. I'm saying that about mankind. But if you live to please God and let God do the work in her life, God can give you what only He can create. A godly love and a godly home. But when our focus becomes earthly and fearing man and pleasing man and worried what they think and I need the affirmation of, of these other people. If God be for us, who else can add to that? If God be for us, who can be against us? And the bottom line, God writes the last chapter. David Harrell wrote in a book telling the story of his father, Edgar. Edgar was one of 300 survivors of the sinking USS Indianapolis. It was the last U.S. ship sunk by the enemy in World War II. 
And those that survived were stranded in the water for five days, many without a life vest, all facing thirst and hunger and injuries and dehydration and sharks. And they all came face to face with fear and their own mortality. Edgar testifies of those days alone in the ocean, and this is what he said. Clearly, there were no atheists in the water that day. Gone was that damnable attitude of pride that deceives men into thinking there is no God, or if there is, we don't need Him. That attitude was completely gone. When a man is confronted with death, it is the face of Almighty God he sees, not his own. We were all actually aware of our Creator during those days and nights. You understand, we may not be stranded in an ocean, but the day is going to come when every one of us will see only the face of Almighty God. And we will wish we had built our walk with God to fear God, to please God, and to serve God. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You don't make a relationship with You complicated. But at the same time, it's not easy. But that you give us the power to be what you created us to be. To have fellowship with you. To be a representative of you. And Lord, I pray today that you would encourage the hearts of, in particular, these men here today, that they would make priority in their life building their walk with you. Lord, if there's one here today that has never humbled themselves to acknowledge their need of forgiveness for their sin. Lord, I pray today would be that day. And then, Lord, for everyone here that is a follower of You, I pray that we would embrace the humility that we don't have what it takes in and of ourselves. And that we would cry out to You that we would appropriate Your grace through listening to Your Word, through reading and meditating on Your Word, build our walk with You, that we would fear You and not man, that we would seek to serve You and not man, and Lord, that we would live only for You, the smile of You. Lord, I pray not only that men, but that each believer would be encouraged today in understanding what you've called us to and in the joy and delight of that. 
while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I would just encourage you as a Christian here today, in particular fathers, but as a believer here today, to allow God's Spirit to examine your heart and just to go before God and as He's already convicted, to just say, God, would you free me from the fear of man? Would you free me from serving man? Would you free me from pleasing man? And would you help me to build my walk with you? What's the motive of why you do what you do? The only motive that will stand is doing it as to the Lord and not to men. If you're here today and you say, I, I don't know that I have a walk with God, we would encourage you before you leave today to seek out someone. We'd love to show you how you can know that you have a walk with God. Lord, may you accomplish your purposes through your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have just